Hello and welcome to a new episode of Other Record Labels. I'm your host, Scott Orr, where we talk about the art and culture of running an independent record label. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you've been a longtime listener, maybe uh, consider leaving a review. I've heard that you can actually leave reviews now on Spotify if you listen to podcasts on Spotify. And of course, you can leave a review in Apple Podcasts as well. That's so helpful. And subscribe. Our numbers have been growing so much over the past couple of years. It's so encouraging. Today's episode is so exciting. I'm talking with Explorer floating in sound and their founder, Dan. And this is a great chat and one of those chats that I'm so happy to to have had and, and one of those chats that are just helpful. And that's the whole ethos and purpose of this show is to speak with record labels who are inspiring and to get inspired by them. And so I hope that happens for you today. We have a bunch of resources on our website at otherrecordlabels.com that are for independent record labels, people who are thinking about starting a record label, if you are running a record label, we have some courses there that you can take that will help you improve in certain areas, including music publishing and marketing uh, and web design, all sorts of things. Go to otherrecordlabels.com and thanks for listening. Is it true you guys um, started out in the house show in the house show scene? Did, did house shows play a role in, in, in where you were finding bands? Yeah, for sure. Um, I went to college in Boston and stuck around there for some years after. Right. And in Boston, there's like a couple of venues, but nowhere near enough venues for like the amount of bands there are. So house shows were super prevalent, especially at the time that I was there. I mean, now they've like cracked down on a lot of them. Yeah, but um, yeah. What year was uh, yeah. this? Like what 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 range? Around like anywhere between like 2004 and 2000 like 10. Okay. Um yeah, but yeah that I was right. going to house shows like you know four four or five nights a week. That's awesome. And like at some point, you know, I started realizing like wow, these are like legitimately my favorite bands <laughs> <laughs> and were they like was there like a like a, a modest pa system or were things like unplugged like how did it work um some of them had pas some of them you know it was like small enough and that they didn't need them yeah but i think there was usually a pa i mean you know for a house show it's not great but uh, depending on the type of band you're seeing, like if it's a loud punk band, like sometimes it almost works in their favor. Mm, that's right. Because it's like, you know, it, I don't know, it, it's fun and there's like a sense of community to it. And like they're not playing like these quiet, like intricate things that you like need a great sound system for right. not to say a great sound system isn't preferred but it it wasn't like a hindrance well even if the sound systems are are inferior to that of a club the acoustics are always going to be better generally because it's tighter and there's couches and, and carpet yeah uh, yeah i loved house shows and and you're right there was like there was a crackdown on them but there was a, a community um who was doing house shows monthly where I live and the hosts would like make soup for everyone. And they would just like, <laughs> it, it was just such a great vibe. And uh, it made like going to a club so cold and, 
you know, not as intimate as those house shows. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I still feel that way about some of the like, you know, modern venues where it's like a little too stylized and you're like, all right, this is not what I'm here for. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. (laughs) I'm not here to see the club. The, the, um, I remember uh, the, there was a crackdown. I mean, we haven't done a house show in a while, but uh, obviously. <laughs> but um, the uh, I remember there was a crackdown where I was. Um, the, this community that was doing house shows, um, somebody interviewed them for the university newspaper about this kind of growing trend of house shows. And the the article was published in the same day the police called the organizers and said, you can't do that. Was there like... Visible crackdowns happening? Do they do they still happen? Like, are you ever at them? Are they always uh, just you know unofficial uh, get-togethers? Um, I don't know if there was like a specific like thing that um, like triggered the crackdowns of them. Um, I think it was just kind of the city of Austin didn't, uh, you know, like the venues and for like legal reasons, the city yeah. just like didn't want them happening. But um, yeah, I haven't been to a house show in a long time. I moved out of Boston in 2011 and in Brooklyn, there are some house shows, but they're like fewer and far yeah. between. Um, but yeah, I mean, they still happen from time to time. I, I think there's probably, um, I know um, David Bazan was doing like a lot of house shows, like touring. So I think you can kind of make it like a, a private party. I mean, uh, probably a lot of house shows are happening. We just don't even know about it, which is the the beautiful part of it. For sure, for sure. And yeah, like you do sometimes see like established artists who like make a quieter music and are like a bit older, do like house show tours. But I think those are a very different thing yeah. where they're like, playing in someone's living room and it's like an acoustic kind sure. of deal. <laughs> yeah, with chairs set out and hors d'oeuvres and stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Over the years, has A&R changed at all? Um, is it more digital? Is it more like three degrees of who you know? Or or is there still moments of being at a venue and, and hearing a band for the first time? Um. I'd say it's probably more of the latter as far as exploding in sound is concerned or more of the former, Okay, like, uh, like three degrees of who, you know, but, um, you know, to an extent, I also run like a music blog and like Mm -hmm. in the process of doing that, I've discovered bands that like, I have no connection to, but other than the fact that I love their music, and uh, yeah, we've got like a couple of releases from like international bands that we're putting out next year who like, I've never met them in person. I've never seen them live, but I'm, you know, their music just connected with me on like such a heavy level through like doing the, uh, like the blog that I like asked if they would want to work with us. And uh, yeah, it's been great in that way. So I think there's like a, there's still like a dynamic range of how we find bands. Well, you know, it's great. I mean, having a, a young artist 
get signed through a community and through, you know, not just who you know, but actually working hard to build a community and relationships is, is really organic and great. But it's nice to hear what, from what you said, what you're saying is that sometimes the cream rises to the top and sometimes you're just played a track and, 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 and that strikes you right there. That's, that's kind of exciting to hear. Yeah, for sure. I think, um, yeah, like finding your community is great, but if your community is like outside like the walls of the community that like I'm in, it doesn't, you know, it, it's still a community. It's just not the one I'm familiar with. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. If that makes sense. Sure, sure. I read this interview where you essentially said that as your label grew bigger, things didn't necessarily get easier. Things maybe got crazier. How do you scale as a record label in a healthy way? I mean, opportunities are great, but they often bring more responsibilities. Yeah. Um, I mean, part of it is like finding like infrastructure that helps. Like, for example, like, you know, when we first got distribution, that mm. took um, took a big chunk out of uh like our what we needed to do yeah yeah um and finding publicists that want to work with your label and uh you know it's like one of those things where like you obviously don't want to outsource too much because i don't know i like personally like to be as hands-on as i can be but i think you know it becomes bigger than like what you can really do at some point in like, uh, you know, like I don't do the label full time, so I'm only working in like a limited capacity. Mm -hmm. And uh, yeah, so it's nice to have other people doing their thing like for your best interests. Totally. Yeah. Where did the idea uh, for a record label come from? Uh, I, and I'm, I'm curious to how far back it goes. Like wh when in your youth was, was that seed planted, do you think? Um, I always liked music a lot and I like, I guess as a kid, I didn't really think too much about labels because, you know, I was listening to like alternative rock, like on the radio mm. and it's like, I love that music, but like, I, I didn't really care about like which major labels putting out this <laughs> right. grunge band. Sure. You know? <laughs> um, but then I think as I, um, like the idea was that I wanted to work in music from a very young age, but like didn't really know much about it. Yeah. And then I think as I like got older and started learning about like indie labels and, um, you know, just the, like the whole, just the whole idea of like labels building catalogs that like, you kind of you can just believe in you know mm -hmm. like i like so many bands that this label's put out i'll just check out whatever they're releasing yes and i think when that like clicked in me was when i decided like this is something i could actually do and i don't have to work for like a soulless major label <laughs> <laughs> I I, I want to fast forward to something I read about you starting a music blog with the intended goal of 
converting it into a record label. I, I don't know if that's true, but that seems really astute for someone at that stage in life to recognize the importance of a built-in audience. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, that's true. I um, I I worked as like a temp for like two years for a major label, and around that time, and this was like when I was in college and then just out of college, and around that time, I, like I I didn't love the work I was doing to put it mildly. So at the same time, I decided that like I would counteract sort of what I'm putting out into the world by starting my own music blog where I can write about the things that I actually do care about. Right. And, um, yeah. And the, as you said, the goal in my mind was like, well, I can build like, you know, loyal readers through this and then eventually convert it into a label. And hopefully the people who read the site, you know, like trust my taste enough to at least, you know, to like pick their interest at yeah. least. Did it work? Um and it's hard to say, <laughs> but it's a good, it's I a good thought. To an extent, and I think to an extent, it also helped when I like started approaching bands that like, you know, they were all very familiar with what I was doing. Yeah. And like, we had written about some of them like on the site yeah. and, you know, they knew I cared if nothing else. Yeah. Yeah. I love the idea, and I always I always love hearing the origin stories of labels on this show, and and I love it when it comes from. And I talk to a lot of like new labels and people who are thinking about starting a label, and I hear different stories, like um, a record store who is thinking about um, becoming a label, and. For me, that makes so much sense. I mean, you have people coming into the store every day to buy a record. They trust you as a curator. It just makes so much sense. And, and same thing with mastering engineers who are thinking about doing it, or um, yeah, you know, all you know, recording studios. I just feel like um, a blog. I think that makes total sense to me. Yeah, I mean, I basically ran the blog the way I run the label, and it's like almost entirely out of like a love for music and not so much like a love for like the business structures that are in place. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> um, I'm curious about your, your short stint at a major label and I know the label, I won't say it unless you do, but I, what, what was it about that experience that, um, really motivated you to, to do things differently? Uh, it just wasn't my thing. It wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like the label necessarily did anything wrong, but it was like a major label where I liked some of the, some of the hip hop acts are like some of my like favorite acts. I, you know, of mm -hmm. my life, sure. but then there's like a lot of like pop acts that I ended up working with and, you know, things like just things that in no way do I want to spend my time promoting. <laughs> just stylistically, um, just because you don't love the music? Yeah. yeah. Or, and I just don't, you know, it's like the whole mainstream 
the uh, mainstream, the whole major label model of like, we have some artists and they're just going to do what they're going to do. And then other artists we're going to like pour all this time into. And it's like, if you just poured like equal amounts of time into everything, then like maybe those other artists like could make new fans and not just do what it's going to do. Right, right, right. And like, yeah, I don't know. There's just a lot of like, a lot of things that I, it just like kind of turned me off. And I also felt like a lot of the people I worked with, like maybe didn't so much care about like what music they were releasing so much as like, it, you know, it was like a job versus like a passion. Sure. And I get that because like at the end of the day, it's about, in the major labels at least, it's about like making, you know, as much as you can make. But like, I wasn't coming at it with that perspective. Do you think it's possible to, I don't want to say run a label, but maybe work at a label and do right by the artists, but um, but not necessarily have it rooted in fandom and, and just be good at your job and, and promoting a record even if you don't like it? Well, yeah, absolutely. I just think on like an indie level, like why would you be releasing something that you mm-hmm. don't like? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. And, and, you know, maybe it does happen. Some labels are more, more into like chasing hype than others, but I still assume that like at least labels of my size, like if you're releasing something, you know, it it's important to you. Sure. Because if it isn't, like you're just wasting your time. Yes, that's right. And it's and I mean and it's your time. It's not like it's you're being paid by uh your company or by a boss. <laughs> And, yeah, exactly. and it doesn't matter what you're working on. Yeah, it's you, literally it's either your time or your family's time or your personal time. That, so, yeah, it has to be something that you're very passionate about. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't want to make too much of this short time at this major label, but I know for for myself working in a soul sucking office, there even the short amount of time that I did that, it really set up these guardrails in my life to know like. I no longer want to do these things or I will never make these mistakes. Is that true for you? Do you do you look back on that time and think I certainly don't want to be going down that road? Yeah, I mean definitely. It's also not a road that's particularly open to me, sure. so <laughs> you know, there's a, sure. it goes both ways. Yeah. But uh yeah, I mean if I could get a job in like the proper like major label music industry, I don't think I would take it. Oh yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah. No, that's very interesting. That's very interesting. It's almost like it's one of those things where working a a record by an artist that you absolutely adore, that probably has like a very low chance of becoming a quote unquote hit is, is more fulfilling than working a record that is, almost guaranteed to be a hit that you don't care about. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I've I've held like a wide range of music industry jobs over the years. Okay. And I know that a lot of them I don't want to continue to do, but having done them, 
has given me like a lot of perspective mm. on things that are important to running a label. Like not so much my time doing the temp stuff at a major, but like I worked as a publicist for like four years and I worked for a pressing plant for like three and a half years. And like my understanding of how these things work, I think is pretty crucial to navigating the world, even for like a label that's like, you know, as small as ours. Mm. I think that's so important. If you're starting a label, it's almost like it'd be really beneficial to spend a month or three months to go and tour a pressing plant and tour a college radio station and, you know, to maybe volunteer, uh, with a publicist or something for a, a couple of weeks, it just it totally gives you such great perspective. Yeah, for sure. And like just understanding the way those worlds work mm -hmm. is, you know, is such a valuable like asset because like some people just want to dump like all their money into like press, but like you have to understand that like, you know, there, there's like a ceiling to it and that, you know, it, it does go with like how productive the artist really wants to be. Like you can't, you can't like make something happen that like doesn't exist. Right. Right. What? And, you know, I learned that by doing campaigns for bands no one's ever heard of that do no touring. And it's like, this is good music. How come no one's writing about it? And it's like, oh, because there's like no visibility on this band. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. What, as we talk about the uh, the the record label and, and all of the operations of the record label, I'm curious for you, what is it that really drives you what section of of running a record label i love what i love about record labels is the variety of of the job some days i'm actually okay to punch in numbers into a spreadsheet uh, i i love the the listening to music the designing of music all of these things is there something uh, like a specific um uh you know section uh, of of uh, or or task of running a label that excites you the most um well other than like finding bands and listening to new records. Um, I like a lot of it. I, I, I actually enjoy doing like quarterly payouts cause it's nice to see the bands get paid. Get paid yeah, sure. Um, I, I actually, oddly enough, like enjoy packing up records. I, <laughs> you know, it's nice to know that these are going out into the world to someone who wants to also enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's definitely days where I'm like, why don't I have a fulfillment company? Sure. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's more a post-pandemic thing, but, you know, or not post, but during the pandemic. Yeah, yeah sure. Whatever. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the variety is is really what motivates a lot of people is that just when you're about to get sick of packing boxes, you get an opportunity to hear demos from a band or, or hear a new record from an artist on your label. And that's, yeah. that's what makes it exciting. 
Yeah, like um, on tomorrow, I'm actually going to the studio where one of our bands is like wrapping up a record mm. that they've been making for like over a month. Wow. And it's so exciting to know that I, you know, I'm going to get to hear it like before, you know, it's even been sent to like mixing and mastering. Sure. Yeah. No, that's great. What role does consistency or persistency play in building a successful label? I've had windows of time where my label was doing really well, and then I had to turn the intensity down for a few months to have a kid or focus on a job. I often wonder what I could have created had I stayed, you know, fully immersed consistently. I, I, I want. Does that make any sense? Like, what role does consistency play? Yeah, no, no, that makes play? total sense. I've I've wondered about that, like at times when I've felt burnt out, mm. and it's like, can I go away for like <laughs> six months, or like does that essentially end the label? Does it wipe out? Your and I've always work? kind of, I've always kind of leaned toward the latter. Like, I can't do that. Mm. Um, but maybe you can, I don't know. Yeah. We did. I, I do think consistency is important because like, like I was saying before, like, you know, you, you develop that like air of trust in your audience. Um, and so you don't want to start releasing things where they're like, what the hell is this? Like, maybe <laughs> I don't need to check out all these releases. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you just, you plug along at your own pace and um, p people will generally move with you. I mean, you see some labels that are putting out like three, four releases a year. And then you have others that are putting out like 20 and sure. we're generally closer to like the 20. Yeah. And it's like something I've like consciously tried to slow down and yeah, it's very hard. <laughs> and you can't slow it down? Yeah, because <laughs> like either your artists are ready with their next record or you get the opportunity to work with someone sure. and you just don't want to say no. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, last year, you know, if there's one caveat to something good last year slowed us way down right right we only we only put out uh five releases i think which you know after like so many years of doing like 15 16 releases it like felt very strange mm. that that um, is really interesting that um that you wanted to kind of slow down but when when a when artists hand in a lay uh, a record, you know obviously you can't just tell them to sit on it for eighteen months because you want to take a break. Uh, how how can you avoid burnout then at, at that point? There, um, there might be yeah, a breaking that, point for some people. Yeah, that's what I'm I'm trying to figure out. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I well, mean, I think at that point, I think at at some point that like. Um, like selectiveness plays a large part in that, in that, in like the regards that if I'm being extra selective with what we re release, then I won't necessarily get that burnt out feeling because I'm just so excited about 
what we're putting out versus mm. like like okay i guess we're gonna do this and like you know like if, if you're not feeling great about it from the start like it's much easier to feel burnt out yes a hundred percent and like sometimes it's an artist you love but like a project that like you know, maybe doesn't need this like large rollout or like press campaign or vinyl campaign. And it's like, this would have been a great digital release. Sure. It would have been a headache for no one. And we would have just moved on. Sure. Yeah. But instead it became like the, the latter or the former and, uh, you know, but that's hindsight. How do you, how do you have foresight on those type of things? I think you learn through previous releases. Mm. You know, it's mm. like, well, remember when we did this release and I felt like, you know, people might not be so receptive to it and then they weren't. Right, right, <laughs> right. Yeah. Let's not do that again. I think that's especially true with, with like reissues or, or live albums or or, you know, kind of like out of album cycle releases you think yeah, hey maybe absolutely. we should do this on a special vinyl but you know that might not be there might not be as big of an audience for it as we think yeah absolutely or like still do it but like scale it way down sure sure yeah yeah and we also did for two years we did like a tape club oh okay which I was really into and I thought it was cool. And like, you know, we got enough subscribers that it made sense. So there was like, I have no regrets in that regard. It's solely in <laughs> like in, in terms of just like, okay, so now we have all our usual releases plus six more that we're like cramming in oh, there. Yeah. And it was like, you know, like I was doing like press campaigns, like there were, you can only promote so many things at once, you right, know? Right. So you were doing tape releases that weren't like these were standalone records just on the, for the cassette club. They, it wasn't like a cassette version of something that you were also doing through the no, label. No, no, they were like stand, the all standalone albums. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And like, you know, six releases isn't that much, but it is when you're like putting it together with the like, say, 10 or 12 you were already going to release. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. There's a, there's a great quote as you were talking. I, I've, I've tried to kind of live my life by recently where it's like, it says, if it's not a hell yes, then it's a hell no. And I kind of, <laughs> I've been trying to think about that, you know, like when an artist, I maybe want to work with an artist. I'm like, yeah, this could be cool, you know. Then it's like, listen, if I'm if I'm pondering it, then it's a no. <laughs> but if yeah, you know, if it's a no brainer, then it's a yes. Yeah, that that's a good point. And I do think that like I'm personally getting better at passing on things, but it is hard because like especially like as you know, we've been a label now for ten years and we've worked with a lot of artists and you know, a lot of people have like 
you know, their band breaks up and then the members of those bands splinter into like three different bands uh-huh. that then want you to release their yeah. music. Right. And like, those are the hardest things to say no to oh, because, sure. you know, you like those people, you enjoy working with them. You, you clearly like the music they make, but it's like, you know, you're going to play like three shows a year. Does this need a label? Right. And is and there, like, yeah. Is there any factors of FOMO of of like that? You know, I, I can't release this record, but I also don't want it to go elsewhere. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I get over that pretty quickly because, <laughs> like, I don't real. You know, if it finds a different home after I pass on it you know, good for them. And I hope it does wonderfully because, you know, at the end of the day, I just want people to hear it. Yeah. It's like a much different, like I'd rather have like that feeling than like a band shop their record around without asking if I want to put it out. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's happened too. But, and you know, you move on, but it, it doesn't it doesn't sting in the same way when like you yourself had to pass on it yeah right 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 let me ask you about your role as a curator um you know and i, I think you're kind of touching on this a little bit with the tape club it was something that you you were interested in doing and you thought was a good idea how do you balance what you think this is a good idea i i believe deep down this is a good idea versus what the customers want what your customers are asking for. I think it was, you know, I always kind of think about the, the Henry Ford um, thing where he said, if I asked customers what they wanted, they would have said a faster horse. And I, I (laughs) often think about that is, is, you know, I should consider what my customers want, but at the same time, I'm the curator, I'm the creative here. Um, Maybe I know best. Do you ever have that inner dialogue? I think I to an extent, but I think I lean almost entirely toward the, uh, I'm just going to put it out and hope people like it. Yeah. I mean, there's definitely some times when like, we'll release something and I'm like, I have no idea if our customers are going to be into this. But like, you know, I also like to believe in what we've built and the people who like have embraced it that like, you know, that they're astute listeners and they'll, <laughs> un, they'll like get like why like this thing belongs in the same world as like something else they love. Sure. And, you know, am I always right? Probably not. <laughs> but it's, it's still worth taking those chances. If it, if it's something that like a label feels so strongly about, like, I, you know, you just got to kind of jump in and hope the audience comes along. Some labels strive for a cohesive sound or a consistent aesthetic, at the very least. Do you see a common thread in the artists you work with? If not stylistically, maybe something deeper? I like to think so. And, you know, maybe it's, maybe I'm the only one who sees it. But <laughs> I like to think, I mean, the common thread at some point is that, like, these bands are making like, you know, for lack of a better term, they're making rock music, but with like, they're all making interesting rock music. Like they're, they're, they're making what is essentially accessible, but doing it 
you know, tweaking the formula in some way that makes them them. Right. You know, like I think a lot, and you know, to each their own, <laughs> but I think a lot of like indie rock these days is just like successful indie rock too, is just really boring. So like to me, you know, like I want a band that's dynamic. I want a band that, you know, is subverting your expectations, like not for the sake of doing it, but because that's how their mind is working and that's how they write, you know, in a way that is different from, you know, whatever, like cookie cutter indie sound. Sure. I love that you use the word interesting because that's a word that I, for a while, actually had it printed off and put in my studio because I, it's something that I, it's such a simple word, but it really is something that I strive for. And, and I completely agree with you. When I hear a record that comes out, it, it can be good. It can, it can even be great. But if it's not interesting, then I probably won't play it again. And I, I find that so interesting. <laughs> I find it interesting. But it, it to me, that's like a really uh, cool part of the industry is when you listen to something, it can be great, but it's really important that it's interesting. Yeah, and what's interesting about it can be, you know, a thousand different things. Mm -hmm. Like it can be interesting, like, you know, anything from like, technical playing to just like like off kilter chord progressions sure. or it can be interesting like that this band like just has like 10 hooks per song yeah. Yeah. which like isn't like interesting it, it's not in the like complexity kind of way but it's just interesting that like God damn, there's a lot of hooks here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or or even even uh like if it's a rock band who puts out like kind of a folkish record, you know, or vice versa. That that in itself is interesting. Yeah, or it can, yeah, or like the like vulnerability of mm -hmm. it can be something mm -hmm. that's interesting, you know. Like maybe it's like a really soft record that you know the person's just putting their heart on their sleeve in a way that's like so open that's it right. connects with you, or it could be like a heavy record that's like really heavy, but you know, at its core is really sort of like sensitive sure. and it's like, well, that's pretty interesting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I love that. I love that so much. It's so hard to define and you're right. There literally are a thousand different variables that could be called interesting that would make a record stand out. Yeah. What, what do you think, just going back to this uh, cohesiveness to your label, what do you think your customers come to you for? Um, <laughs> that's Sorry. a good question. Sorry. <laughs> um, you know, I, I think I'll, sort of the same answer, to be honest. Like, I think, yeah. you know, it's worked because they're coming knowing that they're going to find something interesting. Mm. Um, and that, like, you know, I feel like a lot of our, like, return customers, like the people who like are constantly supporting the label, like they sort of know that we're finding bands that are like a bit left of center, sure. but not to the point where it's like, 
you know, left of center for the sake of being left of center. Right. Like, we're not releasing records that are like, you know, like weird to prove a point. They're like, <laughs> yeah. you know, well, well written albums by bands that are putting thought into it. That's right. Yeah. No, that makes a ton of sense. I want to ask you about, um, you, you know, um, about album campaigns and, and some of the marketing side, because it's, it's it, that's a huge issue for a lot of us. Because a lot of us, um, our, our our listeners on the show and the the DIY artists who, who listen in, um, a lot of us maybe think we're achieving that interesting sound and that we have something, um, but that's only you know one piece of the puzzle. What makes an album campaign successful in your mind? Is it is it you know, simply just this captivating record, or is it a secret strategy by the label or a great publicist? Have you analyzed your your past successes in any way over the years? Um, yeah, the results are a bit inconclusive. <laughs> I, unfortunately, I do think a lot of it depends on like the band, and that like. <laughs> There's there's one band that like throws almost anything I would say out the window because they do everything like the way the music industry would say do not do this mm. and they do great oh, right <laughs> uh, so so that's like the big caveat but for the most part aside from them I would say that what makes it successful like. Sure, like a press campaign and everything is good, but like I think the the band themselves involvement goes like such a long way. Like if the band is busy doing tours and like just trying to make things happen, like you know, it's so different than like a press campaign where there's like not much to sure. feed it because we've done press campaigns with like the same publicist on two different bands that have gone drastically different. And I don't think it's necessarily the publicist is like, you know, dogging it for the smaller artist, but it's like the smaller artist isn't doing anything to help. Right. You know, like, and like, as much as I hate to say it, like posting on your socials and like being like genuinely engaged as opposed to like performatively engaged, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like makes a difference oh, because sure. people, you know, feel they, especially on like a small level, like when you're a band that's just getting established, like people want to connect with you. Like they feel like they're getting in on like something exciting and then, like, you know, there's some bands that, like, don't have any social media or they have, like, one one account. But then, like, you're and, – and that's fine. Like, I get it. Like, I don't particularly want to be on all these social media, sure. like, sites. But, like, at the same time, like, it's, it's free and you're just missing out on an entire, like, group of, like, either your audience or potential audience by ignoring it. So I think like all those things play together, but I also think like in terms of like for people who are running a label that it, it's important to know when to do a press campaign and when not to bother. Okay. Because like, 
not every release needs a press campaign. Like if you have a, I mean, it needs something, but you can do it yourself. Like as long as you're willing to put in the work, you know, look an average press campaign these days is like, you know, anywhere between like a thousand and like $1,500 a month. And if you're making like putting out a release where you're making like a hundred tapes, it makes no sense sure. to do like a multi-month album campaign because one, you'll never recoup it. And two, like the the majority of like major sites probably aren't going to care about this yeah. tiny release. Yeah. No, you're right. So, that's that's a huge quote. You know, not every release needs a press campaign. I mean, that, that's really great. And I feel like I learned that the hard way, <laughs> you know, in like years where we were just paying for press for everything. And it's like, oh, well, now we're like, you know, we have no money. Right. And it's like, how did this happen? Oh, yeah, because we paid for all this press that like we should not have done. Right, and 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 publicists aren't necessarily going to turn down uh, an album, like uh, you know, not to not not to say that they're you know opportunistic or or not fair, but um, if if you bring them an album and then they'll they'll do their job, you know. The good ones will turn it down. Sure, right. And I think almost not even because they're uh, not being opportunistic, but. Because like they're like, well, we're not going to be able to get anything for this, and it's going to look bad for our big that's PR right. company. Oh, that's true. Good point. Uh, yeah. But yeah, the bad <laughs> ones won't turn it down, and yeah. those are the ones you certainly don't want to like <laughs> be giving right. money to because they're not going to get anything you can't get yourself. I want to go back to something when you were talking about the artist's involvement, which I agree a hundred percent. But I want to present you with an issue that I've I've noticed, or at least I've suspected to be an issue, whereas. The artists, when they get signed to a label, um, maybe don't get involved as much in the album campaign um, because they're, they're worried of, of stepping on the label's toes. Or they maybe feel like, now I have a label, I should just be the reclusive artist and and let the label do its job. How do you communicate the importance uh, of an artist's involvement to an artist? Yeah, that's uh, like what you just said is like 100% myth. Okay. But like like in terms of, not that artists don't feel that way, but like feeling that way is is wrong. That's right, yes, yes. And I basically try to, like if it's a new band that I've never worked with, I try to communicate that like up front in our initial conversations that like you get out of this what you put into it. Yeah. So it's like, you know, if your album comes out and then you do nothing, you know, then your album like dies right there, like essentially, you know, like release date comes. And if you don't have any shows, you don't have any videos, you don't do anything, which happens a lot. Oh, sure. uh, Then, you know, that, that's just it. Like it, it just drops off like right then and there. And, I think that's like a thing that, you know, plagues every small label is like how to keep this momentum going past release date. Yeah. And it's not easy. And, you know, bands don't want that like to fall on them to keep it going. But like it really does 
in like terms i mean we've seen it in like the success of like some of our bands versus others you know it's not necessarily that like this band is so much better than this other band but it's like this band is putting in work you know and it, it goes a long way yeah no i mean it 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 really is like the simplest solution um but it's so often overlooked it's crazy yeah yeah Yeah, it's like please step on my toes like i'll tell you if you if you know i'll tell you if it's an issue yeah yeah i remember an artist saying to me like you know that he was going to email his record out to some of his press contacts or or email just to some blogs that he admired and and you know wanted to to make sure that he wasn't sending the same thing you know sending to the same blogs that i was and and at the end of the day, I thought, you know what? It doesn't matter. Like, it doesn't matter if they get two emails on the same record, one from the artist, one from the label. I, I just yeah, don't... Yeah, they like that. That's right. Yeah. So uh, it's it was so funny how, you know, this artist thought that, that they would be stepping on my toes. Yeah. And it's also, like, yeah, I feel like artist, uh, some artists come at it with such a different mentality that, like, it's nice for, like, a site to get in... A personal email mm-hmm. and like there's the whole fact that like a lot of these sites didn't open the first one so like that's right just giving another shot <laughs> yeah you just doubled your chances I, I like help a lot of like really small bands out when they just like want advice on things and like i'll like be talking to like a friend who's in like a very small band and about like how to do their own pr and they're like, yeah, I didn't hear back. And I'm like, well, did you follow up? And they're like, no, I just sent the one email. I was like, no, no, you got like as much as people like like to be annoyed on Twitter and say like just following up, like you yeah. know, sarcastically, like you do have to do that, sure. yeah, because like all these sites are getting like hundreds, if not thousands, of emails, you know, a day, and like they're just not going to catch everything. So sometimes like they're not even going to know you emailed them until like your third attempt. Yeah, that's right. I think I, I followed up with you for this show a month later and it worked. Yeah. And I like, it wasn't <laughs> like I ignored it. I just totally missed the first one. <laughs> well, it's because I, I always think that's because of um, the way that we have our phones with us all the time. Like we'll be like, you know, at a family dinner or will be somewhere totally inconvenient or a traffic light and see an email come through and go, Oh, that's interesting. And then totally forget that it's there. And then it gets <laughs> like moved down the inbox. Yeah, for sure. And because I do run like that blog I mentioned, mm-hmm. like, and it's a very small site, but I still get like, like if, if I weren't, checking my email like at the end of the day i still have like 300 emails and that's like a tiny little site so wait wait wait, wait 300 emails a day yeah probably oh my goodness yeah and if you imagine like a site that's actually legit you know like <laughs> like npr or pitchfork or stereo gum like those people are probably getting like literally thousands of emails every day. Yes. And like, so filtering through them, sometimes you just go like mass deleting and like you miss things flow through the cracks that like you, maybe you would care about. Yeah. 
Yeah, exactly. How do you then? Okay, so this is interesting because you you run a, a great blog, it, the type of blog that you as a record label are pitching to or would be pitching to. Like that, does that give you any insights into how to to pitch a record? Not really. <laughs> <laughs> I think so much of like how to pitch it is like it, it just so much of it matters on like is this even going to get opened like yeah, what yeah. you write in the email is all irrelevant oh, if I no know, one opens it yeah <laughs> or like if it's going into somebody's like spam and it's like it's hard not to do that because like what am I like you know, they always say like when you're a publicist, like you should never copy and paste anything. And it's like, but if I'm including the bio, like I'm not going to retype the bio every <laughs> yeah. time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so true. Yeah, it's so true. I I love when when people are, you know, will post on a message board or or, or an artist will send me their, you know. 10 paragraph bio and say, do you think I should say this? Or do you think I should change this wording? And it's like, hold on. If you have a 1% chance of somebody opening this email, and then your only likelihood is they're just going to scroll down and click on the SoundCloud link or whatever. That's it. <laughs> Nobody's reading this. Yeah. But at the same time, like you really can't send one without one. Sure. Sure. I got a press release the other day from like, I, I like knew I know the publicist and the bio said like such and such band is from somewhere. And that was literally the entire bio. <laughs> and I emailed him back and said, what really? This is their whole bio. Like why, why <laughs> even include that? <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm guilty of that. I'm guilty. Of that. It was like four words long. <laughs> <laughs> That's tough. Listen, I don't I, know. I I think in like a way, you know, music publicity is a strange beast, but like in a way, you like have to really lay out like what it is you're looking for and what it is you want them to know because so much of it is like just being done you know, relatively quickly and without a great deal of thought. I'm not talking about like big feature articles for like artists that they really care about. But if you like convince someone to feature your single and they're like, you know, they're like, I dig this, but I have no idea what to write. They're just like more or less rewording what's in the press release you send. Yeah, no, that is true. Yeah, you're right. So it, they might, if they're looking to write something and you only provide them with a half of a sentence, then yeah, that's going to make their job. It. Yeah, it's going to make their job harder. Yeah. Yeah, and and they don't want a hard job when they're talking about like, you know, track write-ups. That's right. That's right. Um, this has been so helpful and so informative. Thank you so much for doing this. I I have a couple of questions. If you have a couple more seconds for our patrons, but thank yes. you, thank you so much for doing this. Oh, thanks for having me. Yeah, it's a it's a real honor. If you want to catch my extended interview with Dan, where we play our fun little game and we ask a special question to all of our guests. Consider becoming a patron by going to patreon.com slash other record labels. To find out more about exploding in sound, even though I know most of our listeners are always are already huge fans, but go to explodinginsoundrecords.com. 
give them a follow on social media and support their record label as I'm sure you already do. Thank you so much for listening. And don't forget to go to our website for resources by going to otherrecordlabels.com. And please consider, this is too many call to actions, by the way. I'm t- telling you to do like five things right now, but whatever. Please uh, consider giving us a review and subscribing to the podcast. There you go. I think that was six different call to actions. So pick whichever one <laughs> you uh, would like to do. Thanks for listening. <laughs>